Science. Hello, and welcome to Probably Science. I'm your host, one, thir- one third of them, in fact. I'm Jesse Case. Two thirds Andy Wood here. Still one third, but it's the second third. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The, oh, yeah. Th- I'm glad you clarify that because I, Matt Kirshen, would have nothing left. Had you taken the remaining two thirds? Yeah, that's how that's, thirds work. That's how we fire Matt. That's um, that. <laughs> oh, that's no, mathematically the cruelest way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, well, guys, a weird episode today. No guest. So oh, that's, uh, oh just, yeah. You, you, wait, what? What's going no, on? You, you, I'm getting a telegram. Yeah, you're wrong about that. That you might have been confused because our guest has the same first name as one of our three hosts. It's the very funny comedian Andy Hendrickson, who. Whose first name is Andy, same as Andy Wood, oh. and what are the chances? Yeah, I mean, I'm still working out that math problem you guys were doing beginning <laughs> with the fractions. I'm I'm really confused. All the fra- I gotta go back to my seventh grade, or maybe what is that fourth grade? Yeah. <laughs> Depends what I've country got, you're from. Right, right. Yeah, um, I've got a very exciting, I mean, like related story because I I think. I mean, like, the chances of this happening. Uh, so I checked in for a flight. I've been flying around a lot. I've been on the tour with Sarah Millican. Hello, people who've either already listeners and shouted out when I plugged the show on stage or have said that they are going to start listening. So hello, new listeners from who are Sarah Millican fans. It's been a joy. I've met a couple of you. Uh, I, there was uh, met some Probably Science listeners there. But I checked in for a flight a few couple of days ago, and he looked at my ID as we were checking the bag, the guy behind the desk, and he said... Oh, your name's Matthew. You'll like this story. <laughs> <laughs> is it and biblical? It, yeah, right, and, right. <laughs> it is. It's the story of Easter. And then, <laughs> and forty-five minutes later, I was a convert. And that's what this show is now going to be. So, yeah. um, welcome. He said, "You'll like this story." I, my name is Matthew, and I checked in someone a few days ago whose name was Matthew Matthews. And I said, my name's Matthew. And he said, I'm twice the Matthew you are. <laughs> Did, See, there we go again. You so, got me confused with the uh, fraction. No, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and then he said, so I, I just had to tell you that as well. And I'm, I, I'm glad he did. I mean, God, if he'd also known that I, I'm a professional comedian, that would have just been game over. Because that would yeah. have been like... As it is, I get to use that without having to credit him. Well, no, I mean, did that throw off, that's just... got to throw off your whole set. I mean, you're getting ready to go to a show and you got a new closer. It did. And... It, set, it set the bar pretty high for comedy. And it's just, yeah. I was watching Sarah's hour and a half plus on stage after that night. And I was just like shrugging the whole way. I was just like, this isn't a patch on Matthew Matthews. This is. <laughs> it is, it is weird though. Like, uh, you know, like we're all in comedy and you, uh, you get all like, OCD about it and try to figure out the perfect structure and wording and timing of something to make it as funny as possible to squeeze every last laugh. And then uh, something will just happen that like a like a weird fart in public or something where it's like funnier than anything you, <laughs> you can ever that. do, yeah. you know, but yeah. like but the hardest that's going to top. The yeah, the hardest I've ever has. laughed in life has never been at stand up comedy, despite being one. You know what I mean? It's always like seventh grade, like with some friends. And it's just you can't laugh like nothing is funnier than those moments. Anything poo poo pee pee just sure trumps everything pretty much. If that's what you're saying. Yeah, oh, absolutely. It's always it's always funny. But it's weird with me, man, because like um, like you kept it smart, like working, working fairly clean. Uh, and I did not, I was very dirty, but I'm realizing now it's, uh, it's like, I'm at an age now where if you're too dirty on stage, it's like very creepy. You know what I mean? I don't know uh, about that. I think so. I, I, I mean, maybe I'm just in my head about it, but it's, it like doesn't match. First of all, it just need new material because it doesn't match the stuff I think about. I'm not like walking around thinking about, (laughs) you know what I mean? Right. Well, there's that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not just walking around thinking of jizz jokes all day now. It's like I got stuff to do. No, so, no, you're reminiscing about jizz jokes. Mm-hmm. Yep, I get very nostalgic. <laughs> nostalgic like, uh, comedy, yeah. Kind of combine clean and dirt, like do kind of Seinfeld. Like, what's the deal with anal sex? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
no, what I wanted to tell you guys uh, right before we started is because, uh, you know, we always were talking a little to the to our lovely listeners talking a little before we started. Um, and and uh, Matt was bringing up his uh, gardener or <clears throat> not his gardener, a, a gardener. gardener. Yeah, there's a, is the gardener over the road who's not improving the appearance of where I live, but is making it harder to record a podcast. With there you go. Audio. So um, I live in a house, I'm renting a house and, um, you know, I have to take care of all that stuff myself. And I, I was just hired. I was just this neighborhood kid that like mows lawns. I'd like pay him. Uh, and he he's uh, started price gouging. You know, so I'm on I'm on the outs with the neighborhood kid. I'm like not. I'm like nah, man. That's too much. I'm not. What, nah. what does a lawn go for? I used to I'm do this when I was anymore. like, you know, when I was like 14. I, I that was my gig. What does he charge for a lawn? Uh, he's at 60 bucks now. Oh my god! What? It's, yeah. How big is your lawn? It's not. It's not 60 bucks, man. It's not. <laughs> 60 I'm angry bucks, now. I'm angry. Yeah. No. Exactly. Exactly. You remember? And I don't. <laughs> Andy, our um, Andy Wood. Sorry, gets confusing around here. Our old neighborhood that we lived in. Uh, this is before you moved down. I I was like walking back from uh, from Tony's, the Mexican place up on the corner. Sure. I was walking back, and there was a. This was my first exposure to our neighborhood uh, and what it was about. I was walking back, and there was a lemonade stand. You know, some kids had a lemonade stand set up, and I thought, oh, yeah, of course, you go over, you support, right? Five bucks. Oh my five God. bucks and <laughs> i was like dude this is it's uh, a pretty wealthy neighborhood but yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i was like no no that's man. insane so um anyway my point is i cut off this price gouging kid so here here's where the story gets weird um is i do therapy i'm in therapy and i do it via zoom some weeks she's she's not in the office all the time so when i do it via zoom sometimes I put on to make my therapist laugh. I put on a tinfoil hat because <laughs> I'll I'll join the session, and it just makes her laugh for like a second. Like if she she's like, oh, he's gone off the rails the last week. Like it's funny to me uh, if she thinks everything's going fine. Do, can can I ask? Do you, do you also put a smaller tinfoil hat on the puppet that you speak to her through? No, no, no. <laughs> the puppet keeps it together. Okay. Um, <clears throat> So I I was doing like some food prep stuff and I had tinfoil out uh, last week. So I went ahead and put on my tinfoil hat, but like way too early and completely forgot. And I had a full on conversation with my neighbor about borrowing his weed whacker (laughs) without because it weighs nothing. Like you don't know you're in a tinfoil hat. You can forget. And he never brought it up. I didn't realize till I came back inside. so that's my that's my gardening story uh is that greg and the funk band thinks i'm a fucking psycho now yeah um yeah or he yeah he either either thinks you're you were just totally screwing with him or you are actually insane just off the rails yeah it's horrible also great selling point about the convenience of tinfoil hats they they weigh almost nothing yeah yeah (laughs) exactly start selling tinfoil clothes Yeah. <laughs> and that's how the future my, starts. That's yeah. how the future starts. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Um, Andy Hendrickson, we like to ask every guest that we have uh, the same series of very invasive questions. Um, but no, we really just ask one question, which is, what is your background, if anything, in science? And when I, and by if anything, it's always something. We're into bottle rockets as a Bottle rockets as a kid. Did you own a lava lamp? You know, I a microscope. Well, yes, I did have. Uh, I did have those. Remember those rockets? They weren't bottle rockets. They were the kind that you put a little. Uh, I don't know. There was this thing that you would Mo- li- light and it would shoot them straight up in the air. You had to build them and paint them. I had those. Yeah, things. by Estes. Estes. Yeah, Estes. I think those. Are the, yeah, I had those. Yeah. I was pretty nerdy. I. I mean, I'm older probably than all of you guys, but I had a TRS-80 uh, Tandy Radio Shack computer, and I that's awesome. I learned how to program, uh, you know, basic language on there. I remember one summer, me and my buddies typed in a video game. This is because we're like, oh my god, you can play it. Like, there was a computer magazine you can type this video game into. We spent like two weeks oh, taking god, shifts, I remember, I remember typing well. in the pro- programming language into this uh, computer. I mean, we must have put 
I don't know, 100 hours into it. <clears throat> and <laughs> and then we realized there wasn't enough space, so it didn't work. Oh you my know, God. There was enough. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I was a little bit of a nerd. I remember going, I took a class on how to program video games. Um, in during the summer, I begged my parents to let me take this class. Wow. But I had to take the bus to this to summer school with the dum dums, and they'd all be like, "Oh, what do you? What, what happened? You fail math? You fail English?" And, and I would always be like, "Yeah, I fail math." But little did they know that I was literally intentionally going to summer <laughs> school <laughs> to, to take computer classes. So um, that's not necessarily. I guess it's computer science background. But um, that's yeah. awesome, though. That's awesome. Yeah, I uh, went to college. I took biology. Why, what, do, what do you guys want to know? <laughs> well, what we're was used the, to people that don't. I do used the gravity that, so bomb. Yeah. No, now we're confused <laughs> because, you know what I mean. Um, mm -hmm. we're, well, I'm we're, curious. Did you actually get to make any video games at any point in this coding career? Yeah, I don't. I I don't think it worked. I feel like I we get it was a ripoff, but. Um, is that what you're asking? Is like, what was my little kind of like nerdy science background? Yeah, what like, was what your kind interest? Of... Like, what, that, what? That's a very legitimate. I mean, that's that's answers. totally legit. Yeah. Because I remember, I remember those plug, those typing in the games from the back of the magazine. I think my dad tried to do one, and it's just you don't, you don't actually learn how the programming works either. It's basically just data entry, and at the end of it, you may or may not have a game depending on how many <laughs> mistakes you made. Yeah. If you like, that's the thing. If you miss one little piece if you mess up one little thing it's over yeah you know it's crazy but now, um now were these like when hypothetically were if you were to finish the game are these graphics games or like text adventure no they're graphics games oh wow. yeah they were graphics games yeah i used to play um, a ton of text adventure games like i still do sometimes i'll play like zord just to do it you know yeah, and you can't win. You never win. I love that shit, man. I'm trying the Hitchhiker's game and then getting very frustrated with it because that was the point of it. Yeah, yeah. You guys on you guys on this podcast, you 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 have a like specific science like things that are happening in science that you discuss. How does that work? Absolutely. <laughs> no, it's just this for two hours. Oh, wow. Well, okay. Well, you know what? I put in uh, twenty go to ten. That's the first thing I learned in my basic. Pr I'm kidding. <laughs> No, yeah, I mean, we just make we yeah. make turtles draw shapes on screens for most of the podcast, and then we hit uh, go. <laughs> you guys yeah, see this uh... at the end of every episode? We have a square. <laughs> <laughs> so when did uh, not not to get all inside the actor studio? But when did you? When were you like? I like jokes. I want to do this. You know, if you're because I mean, I would assume if you're like a little kid learning coding, uh, you know, you should be very rich. What? Uh, uh, yeah, I got distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I, found, I found beer and went in. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, if you're asking about for comedy, I, I just I just always remember being kind of fascinated by it. I remember seeing it on TV. I remember seeing like Jake Johansson. Oh yeah, doing some bit about sharks or something I'm like it was like on MTV or something, and I was like, oh. But I used to see the late night spots, and and then um, I snuck into a comedy club when I was nineteen, and I was like, I was just like completely fascinated by the whole thing, and so yeah, I kind of got um, but I really didn't do anything about it until I got out of college and I moved to Atlanta, and uh, you know. Got up at the punchline, and then yeah. got, and then I got hooked. Yeah, nice. it's a brutal, it's a brutal bug. Do you have any, uh, do you have any resentment about things that were previously considered nerdy, being very like, because you say like you were doing this stuff, and then you're like, but you got into like, you wanted to like meet girls and stuff, and, you know, you got into beer and stuff, but now it's like coders do that stuff. Oh uh, yeah, well coders you know, are they're, you know what they're I'm cool like, now. Yeah, yeah. Is there? I, I I'm constantly resentful of like, no guys, like you. I I got picked on constantly for this weird hobby. Now these dudes are crushing it. This is brutal. Like, I remember going to a uh, uh, when I first moved out to the West Coast. My wife and I. She wasn't my wife then. It was just my girlfriend. I had a gig up in San San Francisco, and we went to some piano bar, dueling piano bar, and there was all these. Uh, 
tech bros up there. Yeah. You could tell that they were like programmers, really smart, but and they had money, and they were trying so hard to be cool. But you could you could see it. You could see the nerd in them. They, they were yeah, like yeah. nerds with money all of a sudden, mm-hmm. and some st- and some status. And it, was, it was just funny to watch. You could see him kind of like trying to. <laughs> I don't know what's the word like. Uh, present themselves as sure. cool, but yeah. you could, they didn't quite have it. It wasn't right. natural. Right. But um, I you know I I moved around a lot as a kid too, and I think that my family was in the military and I was the baby of the family. So those are two factors that a lot of comedians have. Uh, you have to, when you move around, you have to make friends. You have to be the funny guy. Or if you're a little bit nerdy, you're, if you use humor to make friends that way, you know? Right. right. Hey, uh, you know, another way people, uh, who are a bit nerdy might try and learn to develop some sort of social skills. What's that, Matt? Magic. What are you Uh talking about? And, what are you getting into uh, here? And, and it may play into some sort of fundamental primate wiring that we have. Look, this story is sent If, if, if you're about thing. to bring up the French drop, the famed... The famed French drop. French drop. A move that I actually do know because mm-hmm. of my nerdy magic obsession as a kid. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, one, of the, it's one of the easiest or one of the easier moves. I know. I can, I can do that one. I got that one. Mm-hmm. It's one the, of the, the, you got one the French the drop. To sort of... It's, it's it's a regular the, drop, but with tongue. Right. <laughs> it's one of the moves to to take. Like you've got a coin in your left hand, and you make like you're taking it with your right hand, but instead you drop it into your palm. Is the yep. move. That's uh, it. And it and it looks. But it, it turns out this story that Meg Heaving sent in that, that I couldn't open the Science Daily link for some reason, but I found it on PopSide.com and a heap of other websites. Uh, it only works on monkeys that have opposable thumbs. That's crazy. Psychologists tested how different species of monkeys reacted to this. Oh, you mean you mean they only react to it? I I was like, well, yeah, obviously only they yes, can do the trick. <laughs> yeah, if you're trying to teach a monkey to be part of your magic act, yeah, sleight of hand. Like they're not a, a, a non-opposable thumb monkey cannot yeah. do a comparable, a competent cups and balls routine. I've seen it. Yeah, I've been trying to I've been trying to teach my cat, and to be honest. They're very good at the knocking the, the cups off the table part. Right, the, uh... right. But there's no fooling. You know exactly where the ball is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah. So monkeys, if if they don't have opposable thumbs, they don't even get the trick because their brains don't register that. I don't understand. Yeah. You, you want to go back to the fractions? <laughs> so basically, basically, they showed a bunch of these. They showed a magic, this exact magic trick it's 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 a single move it's a single a single move in magic where again you you would have seen it plenty of times and it's quite when it's done well it's very nicely deceptive but imagine just holding holding a some some object like a coin or a ball or something in one hand between your thumb and first finger and you make like you're going to take it with your other hand and as you move your other hand across instead of actually taking it with that hand you allow that thing to drop into the palm of the hand that was holding it already got it and and it disappears at, and then you know you you your eye line and their eye line follows the hand that supposedly grabs it but it didn't grab it and it's disappeared mm-hmm. and they showed yeah. that to a bunch of monkeys and the monkeys with opposable thumbs fell for it and the monkeys without opposable thumbs were aware of the whereabouts of they used treats, unsurprisingly, rather than coins. Uh, <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, that's a good little tip if you're doing magic for <laughs> monkeys. It's it, they're not as impressed by balls or or dollar coins or, or anything like that. Yeah. Sure, you're you're better off with some kind of monkey treat. But the, the monkey. <laughs> what do monkeys eat as treats? Yeah, what do they give them like dog treats or like a milk bone? What do they get? Actually, what do they we, we've had monkey studies before where they had. Then they have like I think grapes are one of the things they sometimes use. That aren't sounds they? right. That sounds yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's weird. Like I, you know, I've been to magic shows and I can always tell when someone is prepping to do a field study with monkeys because <laughs> yeah. they come out and I'm like, why? why the, just everything is making this banana appear. Or <laughs> you, yeah, monkey magic is very interesting when you see someone then, prepping. Yeah, when the magician is like. Everyone else at the magic castle is wearing like their suits, and one person's wearing like khaki shorts. And yeah, pack- yeah, and they just smell like shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. 
I get it. Um. <laughs> so, from the results, that these findings were published in the journal Current Biology. And from the results, it appears that in order to deceive, a conjurer needs similar anatomy to their audience. Sharing a particular biomechanical ability may be necessary to accurately anticipate and predict the movement of another with the same limbs. The phenomenon mm. turns out to be true even when the apparently accurate predictions end in confusion at the hands of an illusionist. Now, is this uh, universal or is this monkey specific? Because uh-huh. I, I would imagine that a man with no legs... Uh, yeah, watching a magic true. show of a woman being cut in half would still react <laughs> like that's crazy. That's that is true. Yeah, you're like what? <laughs> just, <laughs> like just leaving me cold. Yeah, well, of course you can play. Of course you can <laughs> drop a guillotine two thirds of the way down a person. That's when the, the, the <laughs> that's, flesh ends. that's how it works. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> now, what happens, Matt? What happens when they do the power drop? What's what's the power drop? Oh, I'm sorry. I've, I was reading ahead in the article. Oh, okay. So, uh, so sounds like a wrestling move. Yeah, I know the it suplex. The... Well, there, there was there was a thing going around online for a while where do you, people were trying to trick their dogs. Where oh, they right, stand, right. remember that they stand in a doorway and throw like a blanket up in oh, the yeah. air. I tried that. Just nip behind the doorway, and by the time the blanket goes, they've disappeared. Uh, do you try? Because we tried it. it. It was when I was still working on Jim Jeffries, and they. There are a few people who would sometimes bring their dogs into the office, and we tried it a couple of times to absolutely no effect. It was yeah, just, same thing. My dog dog's like, "What are you doing?" Interested? <laughs> yeah. You're you're in the bathroom. You're in the hallway. You're in the bathroom. What yeah, are you doing? Well, yeah. Just like, I was the only able to use my dad. Like, All right, and then just walk back off to the corner that they walk in. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the study author, whose name is Elias Garcia Pellegrin, who is also a practicing magician, says. Magicians use intricate techniques to mislead the observer into experiencing the impossible. That you can tell this person is a practicing magician because yeah. that's very much the magician's patter more than scientists, isn't it? <laughs> magicians use intricate techniques to mislead the observer into experiencing the impossible. Now regard as I <laughs> then he says it's a great study to st- way to study blind spots at attention and perception. By investigating how a species of primates experience magic, we can understand more about the evolutionary res- roots of cognitive shortcomings that leave us exposed to the cunning of magicians. The cunning, cunning. of... <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Throwing a smoke bomb in we the ha- Yeah, we've got we, to stay aware. Is anyone keeping an eye on these people? I feel like that's <laughs> like... they probably There was probably a government study. They spent a million dollars on that instead of like feeding the homeless. They're like, well, we know that monkeys don't fall for that. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so Garcia Pellegrin is now a psychology professor at the National University of Singapore but has also practiced magic for a decade and conducted these experiments during his PhD work in Cambridge. The French drop is one of the first tricks budding magicians sent out to master. So we already <laughs> described the trick. It's uh, you. I'm not going to describe it a third time. If you don't, if you still don't know what I'm talking about, Google French drop and there'll be YouTube videos, tutorials. I feel like are. the first trick they try to master is way more intense. Like that's what gets you into magic. And then you probably learn very quickly that you have to do fundamentals. Right. Okay. You, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I remember as a kid just being like, "Lock me in that trunk." And people <laughs> like, "No." Like, that wasn't about the magic, though, was it? No. Is that why no, you're in therapy? Was very... <laughs> I was so broke as a budding magician. I I learned the Dutch drop. That's when the audience provides the quarter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, in the study with monkeys, morsels of food replaced coins, and the treats were given as a reward, but only if the monkey guessed the correct hand. Going into the experiment, the team predicted that monkeys with opposable thumbs would act like Cuban audiences, and assumed that the hidden thumb had grabbed the treat and selected the incorrect and then select the incorrect hand. Uh, the team repeatedly performed the French drop for 24 monkeys from three species: capuchins, squirrel monkeys, and marmosets. The eight capuchin monkeys, here's your answer, were tested using peanuts. This species boasts notable dexterity and uses stone tools to crack open nuts in the wild. They can also waggle each finger and have opposable thumbs, which allow precision grip between thumb and forefinger. They were fooled by the French drop about 81% of the time, mostly choosing the empty second hand. Classic. Yeah, well, less dexterous than their capuchin counterparts, squirrel monkeys have limited thumb rotation, but can oppose their thumbs. They are typically familiar with a hidden thumb interacting with fingers, but they cannot perform a precision grip the same way capuchins and humans do. The squirrel monkeys were tested with mealworms and were fooled 93% of the time. Mm. So this is, by the way, this is 
you've got to learn how to do magic with a mealworm. <laughs> uh, I also, yeah, and I also feel horrible for the the seven percent of those monkeys trying to convince the other ones that that sleight of hand took place. You know, yeah. like how frustrated as an audience member. If, if you're, Whoa, <laughs> and you're, oh and, shit! Yeah, holy shit! And you're just like it's in his palm. The mealworm <laughs> is in his palm. Uh, <laughs> marmosets do not have opposable thumbs, and and have thumbs that align with their fingers to make five equidistant digits. These are ideal for climbing up thick tree trunks. They were fooled only six percent of the time. They chose hands that initially held a tasty marshmallow. <laughs> which was initially places. I mean they're all tasty right That's, yeah yeah and they stuck with that same hand for the experiments alright the team the team tried to nullify the tricks by complete, actually completing the hand to hand transfers instead of using misdirection I still say that's misdirection but it's just but so they're, they're practicing it once doing the move and once looking like they're doing the move but actually just taking it from one hand to the other in a regular move right uh did you see that ever? By the way, there was like a, it's one of the few times Teller from Penn and Teller speaks on camera, um, where they did a series where they went round the world seeing different magicians and, uh, and there was a guy in, I think it was in India, and he did like a cup and balls trick, um, and has Teller like being the sort of audience volunteer, um, picking the cup, and Teller taps on a cup and the ball is there. And Teller's delighted and shakes his hand. And then afterwards, like, in the hotel room, he's sort of explaining to the camera, like, yeah, he he did the move, but he didn't do the move. So from a magician watching it, as far as I'm concerned, he's stolen the ball and then he's placed it in the other cup. But actually the ball's in the place that you think it should be in if you're following the move regularly. And he, like, double bluffed me and was great. Mm. Uh, well, yeah, like, well, so, so, like, the nicest thing you can do to a magician is use his own knowledge against him. Right, right. I do know that the um, the the Indian cups and balls routines are like insanely hard, um, like uh, just street magicians and stuff because it's almost like the apprenticeship of of you know like you you're three years old and start learning how to do it, and it's like a whole different system of street magic. Uh, yeah. So it's like some of the most insane stuff you'll ever see. I know that much where uh, people like won't even attempt it. They're like, no, I can't do those moves. You have to, you have to like, uh, I don't know. It's like being a master at any craft, you know, like you go through journeyman and all the stuff. You got to punch a tree for a long, for months. (laughs) Yeah. It's like insane, insane amount of Uh, practice that no one else wants to put in. So, so when they nullify the trick by completing the hand to hand transfers, the capuchin and squirrel monkeys did anticipate correctly while the marmosets missed out on their reward. As a last step, the team devised their own version of the French drop called the power drop. Here we go, Andy. Yeah. It utilized a full fist grab. Oh, yeah. It's a hand action that all the monkey species <laughs> could perform to varying degrees. Uh-huh. They found that the power drop fooled all of the monkey species the vast majority of the time. See, you can't fool some of the monkeys all of the right. time, but you can fool all of the monkeys the majority of the time. Uh, there is increasing evidence that the same parts of the nervous system used when we perform an action are also activated when we watch that action performed by others, says co-author and Cambridge psychologist Nicola Clayton. This mirroring in our neural motor system might explain why the French drop worked for the capuchins and spiral monkeys, but not for the marmosets. The team added that how fingers and thumbs move helps space the way an individual thinks and the assumptions made about the world around us. Clayton said... Our work raises the intriguing possibility that an individual's inherent physical capability heavily influences their perception, their memory of what they think they saw, and their ability to predict manual movements of those around them. Hmm. Hmm. That's crazy. And I think lest we start judging the the monkeys for being gullible, uh, in honor of Easter, did you guys see what was making the rounds on TikTok yesterday? I'm not on TikTok, so no. No, I, I, I'm not either. But sometimes a thing it crosses over, it breaches into the Sheesh. forms of media that I consume. It, into into like millennial Gen X land. Just sure. Like in the show note that searches for the search term "egg mirror." Yep. Uh, if you just click on that, you'll see. Okay, before we before we talk about this, I don't want to fall for it. If this is one of those things that, if this is like a flat earth, I know some flat earthers believe it, but like. If this is trolling to try to get you to think how dumb people are for for like 
not fall. It's not a trick, but somebody uh, held, put a piece of paper up against a mirror and then put an egg behind that mirror and then takes their camera phone and moves it to the side until you can see the reflection of the egg in the mirror. Right. And the initial video that went viral was uh, they put the text over. Can anyone explain how does the mirror know that there is an object there? Jesus. Yes. And I mean, the reason I almost hesitate to talk the, about this. Is this the ICP account? Right. Well, except magnets are fucking uh, kind of yeah, magic. Yeah, like, I mean, I kind of got, yeah, I kind of yeah. get it. But like <laughs> half the comments are just like, oh, American school systems. So I don't want to like fall prey to that. If this was somebody trolling, good job. Uh-huh. Uh, but I do still love the idea about the mirror knowing things. Like, <laughs> no, it's just reflecting light. It's not, it's really not complicated, but uh then there's tons of really sincere explanation videos. And again, what percentage of these are giving Matt ASMR? I don't know. <laughs> but Yeah, I don't I don't know either. Uh I, I maybe I don't know whether I even want to go down that rabbit hole. There is <laughs> there is the more interesting like actually interesting and not as easy not as easy to answer as you think, which is I think it was Fe- Richard Feynman who used to ask people the question as like a challenge of why do mirrors reverse you left and right, but not up and down? Yeah, that is sort of hard to explain. Do you have a good, quick, intuitive explanation of that? I mean, left and right are, are objective to the user's perspective, right? Is the reason why? Yeah, I, I think... Or subject to their perspective. Is it, it's sort of... It's not reversing you. It's sort of... Right. It's showing you from the other side. It's showing you... Yeah. Right. Or, or if you were to go over there, you've reversed left and right because it is relative to you. It's not an absolute. Yes. So like how shitty would that be if the mirrors not only reversed you, but then flipped you upside down and you had to comb your hair and everything like that? <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. they make that you, way. Can, you can get a mirror configuration that'll do that. What if you just saw your back like you were never able to see your face like it just showed like i mean that'd be useful it like shows what you look like your hair and stuff yeah yeah but that's what mirrors did is is just like oh okay that's what i I just had a bad i just had a bad haircut i'm still recovering it's been like two weeks and i'm like i gotta let it grow out to let it fix but i was staring in the mirror as it was happening to me there's this weird thing that happens where you you know you're getting a shitty haircut but you're like well they know what they're doing they're gonna fix that right and it's just like it's this weird thing where you know it's it's happening to you but you don't stop it and then i was like at the end i got the haircut was awful 10 minutes of staring at myself in the mirror doubting myself and then i (laughs) tipped and then i tipped her 10 or five bucks and i'm like and i'm in my car i'm like what what just happened to me i felt like i was like emotionally (laughs) abused you know yeah and you paid for the privilege yeah and then i can't go back and ask for my money back you know i because i already tipped her she must think oh i did a good job oh yes it was weird and then uh and then you know nothing you're gonna start seeing a bunch of guys with that haircut because she got so cocky yeah and also even if you do sort of get your money back you've still got that hair right (laughs) there's no like yeah it's it's not like you know if, if a meal's bad you get you get your take two bites and get money back and then you go somewhere else or something it's just no you've you they can't put their hair back on that's just you that's just time is gonna have to fix that right one. this is a bit i'm working on by the way so thanks i'm gonna take everything you guys give yeah, me no, take, take the but, tags uh, take the tags no, but uh, yeah and then then you there's nothing you can do except for just wait there's that's your only recourse you just have to wait yeah. it, it sucks anyway uh, that 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 moment of staring at yourself in the mirror, mirror while you're getting a haircut is it's it's a strange thing. I wouldn't start- know what. So how would you? Because I've I'm with you. Like I've never interrupted a haircut. I wouldn't know how to intervene. Yeah. Excuse me. You it's don't know really, what you're doing. I've been in the middle of one that's going badly, and you're like, do is the is the goal now to just get out as quickly as possible, or is it to let them complete what's going to be bad and. Is it one of those things like because you know how like uh, sometimes like uh, you'll intervene for like, you know, like if a bartender will go up and it'll be like, hey, is this guy bothering you to to somebody like um, (laughs) could you if if you were getting a haircut and saw someone else getting a shitty haircut? Yeah, that's funny. Could could you realize (laughs) you realize me? I'm going to have to stop this. Yeah, I'm going to have to stop this haircut because they're way too uncomfortable to do it themselves. Right. This is a big issue in our society. Yeah. (laughs) 
This person's already got enough problems. You can't give them. You can't give yeah, them a shitty haircut on top of <laughs> don't, this. Don't do this to them, please. Don't do this. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, I, 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 I went on a little tangent there, but with no, the mirrors. No, no. I, but, um, I uh, yeah. I'm. It does. It is weird how you just have to wait out the bad. Well, because I, you know, the, how I really figured it out because I was, I, I was in Montreal this past week and the one of the comics is like hey i got a good camera i'll take some photos i'm like great and then uh he sent me the pictures and i noticed like there's two spots in my head where it was like the hair was like puffed out where it shouldn't be like i was like god it's it's still there you know i can't get rid of it well it's so weird too when you go get a haircut where it's like the first thing they do is just like soak your hair and it's like well this is i mean you know, they'll like spray your head, like they'll get your hair wet yeah. or whatever. And it's like, well, I know that they're using their, uh, you know, barber intuition to know how it's going to dry. But that's like different for everyone. Like my hair is not going to my hair is going to poof out weird now. Like, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, maybe for curlier hair, you shouldn't. It just it makes there sense are people to me. Who, but... do dry, who cut your hair dry. <laughs> that's a thing. Yeah, they just go for it. An yeah, unmoved cut. Just raw dog. It's apparently a technique that you have to learn separately. Oh. I mean, I, I love, it's been a long time, but uh, the place I used to go in LA, I get the get the shampoo, get the like scalp massage. And oh yeah, that's nice. Curved out sinks. That was like the high point of the, the rest of the haircut is just like icing on the cake at that point. It's a, it's strange though, because uh, that is something where you, you have to be a professional it, because if someone else has ever tried like in, in that, in not that environment, getting a shampoo is horrible. What? Like, Why? Somebody. What? It's really uncomfortable and weird. When I when I was uh I was like after a surgery, I was in the hospital for like two weeks, and they had to like give me a bath one time. It's the fucking worst. Like the shampoo lady, I was like, oh, this is gonna be a relaxing experience. Horrible, you know. It's just like <laughs> it's like being like a baby dealing with your parents, like. <laughs> Like, they're not gentle, you know, they don't know how to do it. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Like, a professional, I agree that a professional shampooing is a real treat. Oh, know? yeah, I get a boner every time. <laughs> yeah. It is yeah. very sensual. I mean, it's guy, a I don't care if it's a guy or a woman yeah. shampooing my hair. Huge boner, dude. <laughs> Huge, just a mass, a throbbing, massive boner. Yeah, they, they come in and they see me and they go, oh, we're just going to do the cut. Yep, that's uh, no shampoo, <laughs> bud. Yeah, they have a, a a photo of you for them to look at as you come in. <laughs> no shampoos. <laughs> I don't um, know why I went right to boner on that, but you know, oh, no, yeah, that's no, okay. Yeah. I mean, there may be something that uh, could help you achieve orgasm. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's almost like getting a massage, you know. Yeah. yeah. So it's, this it's, story. What do, you, what do you have in mind, Jesse? Well, I, I wasn't. I, I well, I have a train coming by, this. so I'm going to mute real quick. That's okay. what I mind. I'm sorry. I, I I live next. I live like on a train track. And by the way, there have been so many uh, train derailments lately. Yeah. That I have. I, I live so close to the tracks. I've had to like think about that. Like, how far out do the cars go when they derail? You know, right. I'm like, if there was a derailment in front of my house, would I be okay? Because it seems like I don't know what the codes are, but my neighbor who lives there's there's a house, there's a one house buffer, but my neighbor lives like so close, you think you could high five a conductor, <laughs> and it's like that can't be okay. But as long as you're not, I would assume that derailments usually happen near a curve. Is that true or not? There's a I curve. There's oh, totally no. a curve. Oh, I mean, no. get it, out. It's it's not something that I think is in the cards. I just wonder. Like, how far out is safe for a train derailment? Because I'm like, for sure within an unsafe zone. Like, I'm yeah. within 200 feet. Yeah, I would think there's a house buffer, right? So that house will get trashed first. Totally, but I don't know how much that would slow down, like, a steel train car. Yeah, I, don't I can't know. imagine that much. Yeah. Hmm. Well, go out there, put a rock on the track, see what happens. See what, see what happens. I don't know how that works. Get out of there. Um, so guys, uh, if you're getting a head massage or whatever, yeah, a, a bunch of people have sent in this story. Sev I, you know, I, I, I didn't think we were that kind of show, but then <laughs> apparently we are according to multiple emails from yeah, people saying we are, we are, 
Um, for the first time, a team of mathematicians has developed a model that can map the best way for those with penises to reach sexual climax. Hey, that's going to be a good-looking model, right? <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying over there. Um, uh, after, uh, af- it's weird how they were very careful with their language. Those with penises, right? Like I get it, you know, you gotta, you gotta be, uh, you gotta be careful with your language. But then the headline is just for achieving a male orgasm. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. It's like also the- that was an early thirty rock joke, which was, uh, it was one. I think it was one of the first appearances of Doctor Spaceman. It was a great, uh, was it? Uh, I can't remember which of the characters he was know. showing his his sex book to. <laughs> I don't know. What was the joke? And it was it was a double hit here. It was like it was like is that you in all of the pictures? <laughs> and then he goes, "My techniques guarantee male orgasm." <laughs> That's funny. Oh my god! <laughs> um, so after combing through decades of data on both physiological and psychological arousal, these researchers say they found the ideal conditions required to achieve orgasm, male orgasm. Uh, we've developed the first successful mathematical model of sexual performance, says mathematician Constantine uh, Blias, one of the lead researchers from the University of Sussex in the UK. Our results cover the physiological and psychological aspects required to reach climax that reinforce and mathematically prove existing studies into the psychology of sex. So, of course, there's no one-size-fits-all when it comes to sex and sexual satisfaction, so take this with a grain of salt. What if salt's not your thing either? I know. Yeah. <laughs> I know. The researchers aren't guaranteeing an orgasm for everyone every time. Oh. Yeah, you have to have... Is this is this going back to the opposable thumb thing? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, instead, they just hope to skew the odds a little more in one's favor based on data. Well, yeah, I know it's always been a trouble for guys getting off. Um, I'm sure. glad this info is going to be out there. Uh, the formulae themselves are actually pretty intense mathematical stuff that won't be a great help in the heat of the moment. Um, oh, geez, look at that math. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the researchers did come up with one important takeaway message. Too much psychological arousal early on can make it harder to reach orgasm. A key finding is that too much psychological arousal early in the process can inhibit the chance of reaching climax, says Blias. Simply put, our findings can be summarized as don't overthink it. More importantly... Uh, the math of don't overthink it. Yeah. Yeah. More importantly, the team has been able to do what others haven't. Find a way to use mathematical models to predict whether someone will reach climax. Of course, the elephant in the room here is why the researchers looked at human males who usually find it much easier to climax. But many of them also experience sexual dysfunction at some point in their lives, and they tend to have much simpler arousal cycle. So it's the best starting point for researchers to create these equations. Uh, all right, what are we? Sixty nine joke something? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know, yeah, I don't right, know what uh, we're learning here. It's just yeah. yeah, don't get two in your head, and it's easier to come. Like yeah, okay, mm-hmm. sure. Don't do calculus right before yeah. sex. Yeah. It, that and that is a compli- that is complicated math. It looks like uh, the shit from A Beautiful Mind, you know, <laughs> yeah. all the numbers and stuff floating around. Wow. Stochastic fluctuations in physiological arousal. We then have S of is that a lowercase omega? I forgot what that W is. You know, I've never been on your podcast before, but I thought this was going to be more like Hedron Collider and uh, you know, like uh, nano no, nano ro- robots and uh, time travel. <laughs> Yeah, but it's uh, you know, it's a little bit more. I guess it's my fault. I brought up the boner during. <laughs> you chose the form of the destroyer, like Ghostbusters style. Yeah, don't think about the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man. And here well, we no, are. I mean, yeah, I feel, I feel like anyone can learn about the the Hadron Collider. It's like we're we're doing the hard hitting magic monkey magic stories, um, and the large hard on collider. Yeah. Yes, this is hard hitting stuff. Um. So looking at this data, they've come, the researchers came up with two equations, one dealing with the psychological factors involved and one dealing with the physiological side of things. Um, as mentioned, the formulae aren't really something you can plug in and use in the bedroom, uh, but they are there to map the conditions that would lead an arousal cycle to end in orgasm or not. So this could help researchers better understand sexual problems in the future. Um, 
I mean, I get that. I get, I, I guess, like when an arousal cycle ends and it's just not happening. I've had that, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and it's a bummer. It's always, a, especially when you're alone, when there's no, you're, when you're like, I'm just going to go to bed, you know. <laughs> well, that's when like, you can really get deep into the equations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I should have studied harder. I should have studied harder. Yeah, yeah, this is, well, I'm glad, uh, you know, I'm glad someone's looked into this. <laughs> they, they kind of buried the lead on what uh, the actual paper, if you click through to it, is also kind of fun, at least in title. Uh, the, the paper they're citing is called Sex, Ducks, and Rock and Roll, Mathematical Bottle of Sexual Response. And I guess the duck reference is that one of the functions has, wait, uh, I thought it would be called This Guy Ducks. <laughs> so if i was in if i was in on this study you know i would punch it up a little it said uh, there's a similarity between the shape of canard cycles in the phase plane and ducks canard is a duck in french in our case orgasmic trajectory can be ca- characterized as a canard with with head Oh, God. Well, an anorgasmic trajectory is a canard without head. <laughs> no. I think they mean like the shape and not the unintentional. Right. Um, right. I don't think it's unintentional. Or it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I love the, the article. Also, just like the public facing article, just screen grabs, just some math looking shit and like a, a screen grab from the paper. And it just has just just to impress upon you that it, it's impressive looking. Right calculations but uh you know no variables are named so it's up this this screen grab is meaningless to anybody who doesn't click through because like there's just tons of variables none of which are defined so you can't even get a sense for what these things do no absolutely absolutely but you're just it does look like just like an art director has put some put some some math on the on the blackboard please yeah Yeah, it just spins around russell crowe's brain it's the goodwill hunting exactly interesting so I mean, I don't know what no to do with that information. I, I wouldn't know how to, if I'm in an arousal cycle, I wouldn't know to be like, I got to crunch, crunch these numbers. I don't know if this is going to add up, you know. Right. But yeah, someday we will uh, capture, and, and someday experts say we may actually capture the elusive male orgasm on film. <laughs> 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 I don't know why that's so funny to me. Uh, <laughs> isn't it true that uh, with eels, we've never seen them breed? I don't know. I think I literally, literally never seen it. Um, eel breeding. Eel, eel porn is what it is. Eel porn. Yeah. How do they? I don't even know what they're like. Well, so we don't know. Um, uh, oh, eels, eels release their... Hold on. Fact check. Nobody knows how eels reproduce. Um, check chat, chat GPT. Right. We've never observed eels mating in the captivity or wild, but is this? No, that is corroborated. Um, oh, wait. Some statements have been some statements uh, have been debunked. Eel reproduction has been observed in captivity. Um We've definitely seen eels that have reproductive organs. I guess some claim was that they don't even know the reproductive organs. Um, but they do it. There's just a cloud of jizz that okay. is very hard to see. Swim through it. And then... that, yeah, they swim through. Yeah. Oh, wow. um, That's one way to do it. Well, yeah. don't feel bad for misremembering that, Jesse, because it, it, it oh. turns out from this uh, science alert story, your brain can create a false memory quicker than you think. Oh, yeah. Some well said. It. Well said, Andy. No, no. That was. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, research suggests people can generate false memories within the blink of an eye. In a series of four experiments led by the University of Amsterdam, researchers showed 534 people letters of the Western alphabet in actual and mirrored orientations. After some participants were shown an interference slide with random letters designed to scramble the original memory, all participants were allowed to recall a target letter from the first slide. Half a second after viewing the first slide, almost 20% of people had formed an illusory memory of the target letter. This increased to 30% after three seconds. Now, what's the difference between a false memory and an error? That's a good question. Right. The the human brain alters memories. I guess it's whether you th- you th- would have confidence which in you, the... Yeah, your confidence in it. Um, the human brain alters memories according to what it expects to see. 
Because people included in the study were so familiar with the Western alphabet, their brains expected to see the letters in their actual orientation. When letters appeared mirrored, for example, uh, backwards capital C instead of a regular one, uh, people were more likely to remember the pseudo letter as a real one, even after only milliseconds had passed. It seems, says the researchers, that short-term memory is not always an accurate representation of what was just perceived. Instead, memory is shaped by what we expected to see, right from the formation of the first memory trace. Well, it's weird that they would choose letters to, you know, people have kind of different levels of dyslexia. Right. So it's kind of hard. That gets jumbled, I think, in a lot of people. It does in my mind. Maybe I have a little bit of it, but um, I don't know. I, I was thinking more about like, I thought it was going to be more like about what they see with mem- remembering people's faces and stuff, especially like with eyewitness accounts and that yeah. kind of thing. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. And how, and how you, how much that can be altered or whatever. Like I, uh, yeah, I, I, there's gotta be some things we st- like, for instance, right. Um, when you go grocery shopping, like. I do think that milk is the most forgotten item uh, where it's like almost cliche. Like, did you remember milk? Like, shit, I forgot. Like, you'll get everything else. I forget milk more than most other things. And I wonder if there's something going on with like the milk aisle or the color of it or some. It's like, so bland in color that uh, it evades the memory. But it's well, maybe like that time your family was killed by milk. <laughs> Yes. Well, 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 that's what I mean. Like every time I go to the milk aisle, am I getting molested? Is that is yes. there a guy that right. hangs out on the milk aisle <laughs> and I just block it out? But like I'll I'll think back and it's like I was there. It like I walked right past it. And why am I forgetting milk or does is that my body telling me like you are an adult now you you should not have this milk <laughs> this is for uh this is for infant like cows. is it a protective thing like i don't know what the fuck's going on but i forget milk a lot and you know i i think we need to get these um boner mathematician guys to look into this sure <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> better use of their time has has milking ever been captured on film no no one's seen it <laughs> No one's seen it. So the researchers showed that these were false memories rather than wrong guesses Ah. by asking the participants how confident they were in their memories on a score of one to four. There we go. Participants consistently report with high confidence that they have seen the real counterpart of a pseudo-letter target. They write, people were more likely to switch to a pseudo-letter, switch a pseudo-letter for a real letter than the other way around, suggesting that memory illusions are mediated by world knowledge of how things usually look. The researchers differentiated these false memories from errors in initial perception by taking measurements at two time points. The only opportunity was during the 0.25 seconds in which the letters were flashed. If perception errors were driving the mistakes, the error rate would be the same 500 milliseconds and three seconds later. When the error rate increased over time, this suggests that false memories were forming. <clears throat> okay, so they they do the test and like literally as as the wrong the backwards letters being shown, they say, "What did you see?" And the error messages that rate is lower, and but then if they ask it a little bit later, their brain has had time to kind of formulate this false memory of what's happened, where your brain has corrected it to the expected version of the letter, Hmm. and the error rate is higher. So that yeah, but people are just—it's easy to just do things backwards. Like everybody knows that the the real Unabomber just had a hoodie face and then a skin body. (laughs) Outside. But, by the way, Andy Hendrickson was asking, well, why don't you do this? With, why don't they do this with faces? And they did in a previous study, where they showed that when people were given a picture of a face in a profession, they were more likely to link criminal labels such as drug dealer to faces with black features, indicating that internal biases were shaping memories. So it is crazy. Our entire judicial system is is based on eyewitness yeah. testimony. People <laughs> are getting screwed left and right yeah. Yeah. all the time. Um, all in the another time. study, yeah, it says people were given a list of three or four interrelated words such as nap, doze, bed, and awake. Uh, when given a second list, participants were more likely to remember semantically related words not in the original list such as sleep. Fuzzy tr- trace theory may also be driving short-term, mem- short-term memory illusions but cannot entirely explain the current findings. These experiments suggest that our verbatim memory input is immediately integrated with previously previous experiences and expectations. I'll tell you something uh, about memory. This I I have a joke 
that I wrote about camping. And, you know, sometimes in comedy, you'll base a joke on a real experience, but you'll exaggerate to uh-huh. find it, you know, find a better laugh. I had told this, this, it's like a story about camping so many times that I kind of created a, and it, a lot of it's, it's based on reality, but a lot of it's made up. The details are made up. And, um, I think I created, like, I created like a false memory. Like your real memory of that event now is more closely tailored to the stand-up version of it than it exactly. was. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. I have weird. Same when thing, I tell yeah. the story on stage, I literally kind of picture it in my yeah. mind. And I'm like, I was telling my wife, I was like, it's so weird because that actually never happened. <laughs> but yeah, my, I remember well, My it. memory of, uh, like, I, I just... I just flew in from, um, I was, we were in Texas most recently and my, my eyes, my arms are tied for unrelated reasons, but in my head, my arms feel tired specifically because of the way I flew. The the flapping. You're flapping of your arms. Yeah. It has created that. So it does, it does describe what, what fuzzy trace theory is. So they said. Well, I just was- I just helicoptered here, and my penis is tired. That's, <laughs> that's uh, mm. <laughs> a little funny visual for you, huh? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Jesse just ruining my whispering lessons, left, right, and center. <laughs> whispering lessons. Uh, was that? Was that? I don't Where did it. you learn to whisper? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't get it. Was that? Was that never you? Uh, clearly, Andy recognizes that. Was that? Was that not as widespread in America as? as <laughs> terrible hack audience line of where where did, hey buddy where'd you learn to whisper in a helicopter oh uh, yeah oh gotcha, and then isn't gotcha. there a famous somebody just messing up a word or two of that and having it make I, no sense it, i forgot well, what it is this isn't i don't know if this isn't famous generally famous but i was there for when a, an actor who's no longer doing comedy to my knowledge but um was doing a, a drop-in at the comedy store uh, or like a, a a tryout set at the London Comedy Store, and was uh was having a tough time with the audience, and uh you know wasn't getting great reaction, and then like someone I think slurped her drink on the front row, that was enough to make him turn up, snap around, and go, hey, wh- where did you learn to sip? In, in a helicopter. <laughs> he realized. He sort of realized as it was going on that he. <laughs> where did you learn to sip in a hel- helicopter? <laughs> But that that comic was one of the one of the legendary bullshitters of the UK comedy circuit. The uh, legendary uh, fake storytellers. Uh, oh yeah, uh, uh, a self uh, a shameless self promoter name droppery type. No, no, no. I'm oh. like more like shameless like playground liar, like like the like the kid at school who says he's got he's also playing for man united at the right. weekend but you don't know him because he's doing it under a different name that but as an adult right, right. like one of those you right. guys should pull up an article on that um compulsive liars and because there's a psychology there too when compulsive we all have met a person who's a yeah you, it is, it's fascinating. you know they're lying well. to you and you there's this weird thing where you know they're lying to you they know that you they probably know that you know that yeah, they're cause, lying because there's like the and we of, all like, play along artist. Yeah, there's like the ones who are like sort of like spinning along lots of lies just to sort of get by or just like, you know, semi-believable, but just like, hang on, every, this is just all of this is bullshit. And there's, then there's the ones who are just like the kind of ludicrous lies that are so instantly like everyone's just, what are you? Right. We know we know you didn't write the music for the next Bond film. That was one of his. Uh, <laughs> that was, wow. That was a, that was a genuine one. There's, there's others, but that, yeah, that's enough to well, let any UK comics listening to this know who I'm talking about. I, but I think but, there's a difference between like a serial behavior and a pathology, because yeah. you can break a behavior. Like I in like middle school through high school, I lied quite a bit. So we we had moved here. I was getting bullied a lot. I was really struggling just to get through the day. You know, and I, I don't mean that in like a self-harm way. I just mean like just anything to get through, you know, to to mm-hmm. to have a decent time. And I actually like there was this breaking point. Where I'm like, this feels like shit, you know, like this is horrible. But I, but I was like, uh, I was quite dishonest about 
completely mundane things for a while, but then you can stop that behavior. Right. Uh, you can just quit doing that like the way you could quit smoking or something. But um, that's more of just like a bad habit. But you don't just like want to have like a quick lie at parties or when you have <laughs> a couple of drinks, you go, ah, I found myself lying again last night. Sure, sure. No, but I mean, that's something where you can be like, oh, this is harmful to myself and those around me and this sucks, you know. Yep. But then I think there's like the, yeah, there's like a sociopathic... Uh, I don't know. I mean, I've met. There's people the like neighbor that too. Tonys of the world. Yeah, I've, yes. met, I've met people <laughs> like. An example. I've I've, yeah. I've met the I'm actually a secret agent, you know, liars. You know what I'm saying? Right. And that's like a also whole different like level. When I was of, staying at Andy's house for a yeah. few days. Illuminati <laughs> ninja. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Is he was he teaching ninjutsu to the marines or something? What was he teaching? Yeah, yeah. He said the marines come over. This is Andy. This is my neighbor out in Joshua Tree. He yeah. claims that the, the marines come out from the base in Twenty Nine Palms to his house to learn hand to hand combat, and that he's a ninja and that he's a paid caretaker for Nancy Clancy, Tom Clancy's widow, um, <laughs> and that he once uh, got car. These two guys tried to carjack him, but he killed them both with their own guns. <laughs> and um, and then when the cops came. They said, just walk away, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no Those deal. are the people nope. I'm talking about, yeah. right? And they're, they're, fuck, they're lying right to your face. Yeah. And you, yeah. there's some kind of psychological thing where you just listen because it's almost like you're... It's fascinating. It's fascinating. You're like, God, he's so full of shit. But it's like you, someone who's doing like a weird dance at a wedding and you're like, this is... Not normal social behavior, but also like fair play to you. Someone fair who's doing a weird that dance. Reason. Just like just like mad dancing, and you're just like, well, no one. That's not how any other human dances. But fair play for just yeah. going for it and just. You just a gotta weird... one up. You gotta try and one up those people, and then a that, weird that, dance that... at a wedding. <laughs> it's a very specific example, yeah, but I stand yeah. by it. You, no, you'd be I. Like, I I love uh, I love when someone does an example that's very obviously tied to a memory. That's <laughs> like my favorite. Like when, <laughs> when but, is it, but is it a fuzzy memory? Is it a false? Is it an invented right, memory? Right, right. So, so his, so it says we know from experiments led by psychologist Elizabeth Loftus and others that false long-term memories can be easily generated. For example, adults can be persuaded to recall a vivid but fake memory of getting lost in a shopping center and crying as a child. In another study, people generated false rich memories of committing crimes such as theft or assault. Fake long-term memories are thought to be driven by the fuzzy trace theory, which states that memory comes from two parts, a verbatim part, which is what happened in real life, and a gist part, where, per where the person interprets the meaning of the event based on semantic analysis. Hmm. And that, that's where you're sort of bringing in your, your pre-existing knowledge uh, of the world. Yeah. yeah. I was, or, I, and including potential biases and I was on a, false co cognitive biases. I was on a jury once, or got called for jury duty, and uh, they let me go. I didn't get to see the, you know, I wanted to do it, um, but they they let me go. Uh, but th the video, we had to watch a, a bias video beforehand. You know, it's like this shitty video they put together about your you know your duty as a citizen and all this but it was like a two minute video and, and i was like man it is really something where i think like people should study this for years before they determine someone's fate oh yeah you, you know <laughs> it's like man this isn't this isn't gonna fly you know yeah two minutes by the way, speaking of flying things, uh, if listeners are interested in hearing more of Tony, I forgot to plug um, my friend Bobby Hacker, who's intimately involved in the, the Birdemic movies. Do you guys know those yeah. movies? Sort of like yeah. The Room. Um, to the point, he was DP on, on the sequel, and he invited me down to be an extra, again, coming back to the dancing, uh, to be a horrible background dancer in the um, party scene, Birdemic 2. And then when they were putting out the trilogy uh, on, on Blu-ray, when the third one came out recently... He asked if he could come out and have Tony and me uh, record um, a commentary track for Birdemic 3. So <laughs> if you click this link and order wow. the Birdemic trilogy on the third one, you can hear Tony and myself. Because uh, he wanted to have somebody who had never seen the movie doing a commentary track in real time. And he was like, your neighbor, Tony. So we brought him some wow. beers and he came out of my house. And... Uh, Oh, amazing. Well, we'll put the link to that in the show notes, uh, both in the episode download and also on the website, probablyscience.com. You can find that um, and all the stuff we do. 
Andy, where can our listeners find you? Because we should wrap up the main episode and save a bit for the Patreon patrons. But where can our listeners find you and everything you do? Yeah, just my website has everything, andyhendrickson.com. And, uh, you know, all my albums are on Spotify and my schedule's on my website. So those are good places. Instagram, Andy cool. Hendrickson. Get on all, all of those. Like we said, that's what the PropertyScience.com is on links, uh, including our Patreon and PayPal links. Thank you very much, everyone who supports the show like that. Yeah. And you can find us on Twitter at PropertyScience, at individually, at Jesse Case, at Andy T. Wood, and at Matt Kirshen. PropertyScience at gmail.com is the email address for any questions, comments, clarifications, and stories you would like us to cover. Thank you very much for everyone who sends stuff in, and also for everyone who just helps spread the word and tell people about our show. So, uh, and also welcome new listeners from Sarah's tour. Hey, everyone. Hey. Uh, I, by the time this episode goes out, I think the tour will be finished, but I'm going to be in the UK for a couple of weeks, so I might be dropping into a show. Nothing confirmed. Probably doing something somewhere. Uh, find me there. And uh, that's all the plugs. Andy Hendrickson. Uh, does anyone else? Jesse? Andy? Anything you just, need to share? Just Birdemic Trilogy. Just the Birdemic. Yeah. yeah. No, no. I'm. Don't come see me. I'm relearning how to do everything on stage and it's awful i'm just i'm just tanking out there if you want to see some just an interesting study in human nature come to come around nashville i'm doing spots well get on that and andy henderson thank you very much for joining us yeah, and thanks, guys. stick around because we can have a little bit more but listeners see you next time Bye-bye.